0: Hello, welcome to Voice Club. My name is Tim Adeline, and this is a conversation with David Fuller. I hope you enjoy.
1: So now the tables are turned. Instead of, <laughs> instead of doing the interview, I'm going yeah. to be interviewed. Yeah. All I really know, Tim, is that you contacted me and said you feel a real alignment That's with good. what you're doing and what we're doing and would like an interview. So mm-hmm. tell me more.
0: Well, mate, it's clear that, um, well, perhaps this really should begin with me asking you what Rebel Wisdom's about. I mean, to get at the alignment, I'd have to tell you what I'm doing, and then that might take a little bit of time. But fundamentally, I I see uh, you attempting to have conversations with interesting and important people as they appear out of the haze on the world stage at the moment. And, you know, I'm interested in who you are and why you're doing that, and perhaps ultimately what the personal drive is that finds you in the position you are.
1: I guess the simple answer is that I feel it's what I'm meant to be doing. Mm. I've got a set of skills from being a journalist and a documentary maker for a long time. I never felt like a complete fit with um, partly the mainstream media and partly um, just TV as a medium. It didn't really seem to go deep enough. Mm-hmm. And since I've started making stuff for YouTube, I kind of realized that one, there's an appetite for real intellectual content again, mm-hmm. which is great. and also that i've got something to offer and i think what i have to offer is i see how things fit together like i see who when i when i saw jordan peterson last year i knew straight away that this was the key message that we needed to integrate as a culture it's Mm. like materialism is breaking down a lot of the structures are breaking down under the force of like the deconstructive force of the internet and there's there's a kind of sense that this is the time for new ideas and I think why people are really hungry for new ideas is because we all sense, certainly with the election of Trump, it's like the idea that the adults are in charge in any kind of meaningful way is, is obviously not true. Mm. Um, and I think we all kind of sense that something, yeah, on some deep level, a lot of the ideas that have been running Western society for quite a while are breaking down. And I think that is, yeah, it's the end of materialism. It's the end of the kind of the rational intellect that questions everything and questions everything until it can't question anything else. I mean, that's kind of postmodernism in a way. And what we need is a reintegration of the sacred, the archetypal, the mythological, the irrational, for want of a better word. And that's what I see in Peterson, and that's what I see, I think, rebel wisdom, I think is a conversation. They say that every great newspaper is a conversation. So it may not agree all the time, or there may be different perspectives, say, like a great newspaper, will have different perspectives, but it will have a certain overall tone. Mm-hmm. And the overall tone of Rebel Wisdom is, what are the ideas? What are the practices? What are the kind of embodied forms of knowledge that we need to get through what I think are going to be a pretty chaotic next 10 years or so. And so we're we're doing stuff about psychedelics, because I think that's a really important kind of opening up to the beyond, the the numinous, the the kind of we're also doing workshops because I think you can do the film, you can make films, and I think we are making like really interesting films, interesting um, interviews. But ultimately, you have to, if you want to, to to put an idea into practice, you have to build that into your life, and you have to question your beliefs, you have to question your conditioning, the way you were brought up, sort of all the ways that you hold yourself back. And I think all of that, like I think the next ten years are going to challenge us all on every level what we thought we were tr- was true we're realizing is not true kind of that that's still a kind of intellectual concept but i think a lot of it's also going to really test our emotional resilience mm-hmm. like the chaos of the times is going to and it's already happening with social media like anxiety and depression and all of these things are growing hugely because we're overwhelmed mm-hmm. and we're being overwhelmed by the world mm-hmm. and that's going to keep happening i think mm-hmm. even just i mean my particular area of expertise i guess is foreign Foreign affairs, and I look around the world and I see five or six flashpoints that are likely to explode and likely to, to, to kind of yeah even even that let alone kind of AI and all the other yeah, kind right. of existential right. threats. I think we're yeah I think we're in for a really rocky time. Yeah, and I also think that if you look at the intellectual dark web, for example, that kind of it's a loose it's a loose kind of name for a loose. Movement, But I think as a what I sense the movement is is a is a coming to consciousness of these kind of conversations You look at you look at say the Weinstein brothers on Dave Rubin They're they're raising the biggest questions and looking for the biggest answers Mm -hmm. and that that I think rebel wisdom is part of that conversation already where and we're trying to we're trying to To be part of that conversation to push it forward And to also bring the parts of that conversation that aren't being had. Because there's still a danger of it just being an intellectual conversation. Like the intellectual dialogue, it's it's an intellectual conversation. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think we need a much deeper resolution of that. Mm -hmm. Sort of an integrating. So we've got interviews with the likes of Stan Grof. Mm -hmm. uh, Stanislav Grof, who was the sort of pioneer of psychedelic therapy in the 1950s and 1960s. -hmm. Richard Tarnas, who was with Stan Grof as philosopher in residence at Esalen, who I think wrote the best book About the history of Western culture and where we're going, called The Passion of the Western Mind. Interesting. Um, And so we're looking for who are the thinkers, and like we we have that interview with Rupert Sheldrake, which I think is one of our sort of most popular things. So we're looking at saying, okay, who are the thinkers just outside the mainstream of Western thought who probably have the answers? Like they've never been accepted into the kind of the grand current of Western thought or Western culture, but they're holding these really important pieces. Um, and I'd add sort of Jamie Wheel to that, who's a kind of, who's a modern day flow expert. Like he, he, he's holding a really key piece. So I'm, I'm looking around and seeing how the pieces fit together and say, okay, he's got an important piece. This person's got an important piece. She's got an important piece. I mean, everything there is, like Louise Mazzanti, for example, who's appeared in a few of our films so far, I think is, is an incredible force and is, is again holding a really important piece of the puzzle.
0: Yeah, She's powerful. She's got a powerful presence, no doubt about that. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I hope that in a year's time, lots of the people that we featured have a much higher profile. That, In the same way that we, we put out the piece about Jordan Peterson and then he, he reached this sort of new audience simultaneously. I'm not saying that we were in any way responsible for that. Yeah, but, there's about a million factors contributing to yeah, a million, to part, Of course, I'm not, I'm not saying yeah, yeah, that, but yeah. I am saying I knew that yeah, that would yeah. happen, nothing. The first question I asked him during my interview was, one, what do you make of what's been going on? And two, are you ready for it to keep going? Because mm. I knew that it was. he was on this exponential curve. And there's a, yeah, I really, that name, the exponential curve, I think really sums up what we're doing. Mm. I think we're on that same exponential curve. Mm. And the exponential curve, so what the, what the, the internet allows is to sort of crowdsource the the necessary answers and the necessary um, information for this time. Mm. And that, so Jordan Peterson was basically crowdsourced. The intellectual dark web was kind of crowdsourced. They were forced together, like Dave Rubin talks about, this was meant to happen because they were so popular that they were being forced onto each other's shows by their audience. Hey, get Sam Harris on, get Joe Rogan on. So there's a real, the internet has allowed this sort of self-generated conversation to emerge and it's just in time I think and the fact that it's emerging shows that everything is quite fragile like it's, it's being summoned on some sort of archetypal level that we need the answers we need are being summoned mm-hmm. by the internet and crowdsourced mm-hmm. as we need them and I think that's that gives me hope but it also also pretty much all of the kind of the best thinkers I know are quite pessimistic about our prospects for the next 10 years or so like we we're still acting like tribal beings in a world where tribalism is no longer an option for example right
0: yeah well no that was brilliant i mean there's so much there so at one level it's about what are those ideas that are built for storms Mm. and how do you properly talk about them and integrate them when the time comes but the time is always now because Mm. There is always responsibility you can take for, whether it's integrating something difficult or looking to that place where you're vulnerable and trying to speak to that and apply it in a way that's practical and health-oriented for your life. Um, So, you mentioned Jordan Peterson, and you also mentioned an exponential curve. Mm -hmm. I'd be interested in the shape you see that curve taking. Now, obviously, it's a curve upwards, one would hope. But there's an interesting idea that comes out of many mystical ways of thinking and also out of Stangroff's work and mm. alchemical and ideas and, and uh, many other ways. But it's just generally this idea of cycles of transformation, of deaths mm. and rebirths. And you can consider them metaphorically or we could get metaphysical about mm. it. But at the metaphorical level, uh, applying that to the idea of this upward curve, mm. it means there are going to be, you know, troughs. And and then peaks again. Almost as if, if you're moving towards a vision and, and, and you're at the top of a mountain and you're looking over another and you see a land beyond it, to actually get to that land you have to go down the mountain first and then you can't quite see where
1: you're going and, mm. and you're into the darkness again, but then up again, right? And so but you can talk about the J curve. Like things have to get worse before they get better. Right. And where my do you friend, think we are? My friend I think we're I think we're on the downward curve. Like sure. my friend Nick Jankel talks about the J curve. Because if you're, if you're sort of, say you're kind of things are going okay, in order for them to get better, you have to destroy the things that are that are just about okay. Like your cope, like think about in your own life, your coping strategies, your ego structures, your way of dealing with things. Often you'll reach a crisis where those don't work anymore, and the ultimate solution is that you'll you'll come out of it and you'll you'll be in a healthier space. You'll find some ways of of kind of yeah. Some of those beliefs, some of those habits are no longer serving you. But to get to that place, you have to go down into it. And I think we're mm-hmm. we're heading down into it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I think the election of Trump was the for me at least the kind of harbinger of of that yeah. sense of okay, this is the time. It was something. It was definitely yeah. something. Yeah, it's kind no. of okay, this is the time where things like he's whether you support him or not, and um I know that we've got some um some people who view our videos who do support him. Um I I think supporting or not is kind of a fairly narrow way of looking at it. I see him as essential. Like he he's a kind of he's a symptom not a cause. Mm-hmm. And he's a symptom of a lot of failure in the system over an awfully long time. And he I mean, even just from a sort of practical level, he's ripping up all of the international agreements. He's ripping up the entire kind of world order that was set up after the Second World War by people who went through the Second World War and realized how bad things could get. Right. And what we have now, 70 years on, is we've lost all the life experience of people who went through that. So I suspect we're going to go through something similar. Possibly yeah, I I think we'll go through something similar in the next sort of 10 years or so and in terms of sort of the exponential curve and what it looks like I think it looks a bit like BitTorrent so BitTorrent is you have You start off with one one central node which has all the information And then it propagates out to everyone but then from everyone to everyone at the same time Yeah, so I think that's kind of how it works right and and what's important is actually what
0: the process or movement that is most adaptive for that, well, that for the individuals who are then the, uh, the next nodes sprung out from the first node and yeah. how, how in their own development do they relate to the adaptive movement of that initial node. We could tie this in together actually with what you just mentioned about Trump because for sure he's a symptom but he's also an individual and a powerful individual and is a cause in his own right and, and I think the thing about Trump is that uh, you can make arguments for his necessity in the current systemic place we're in, mm. but at the same time, it's it's immediately apparent for most people what his individual flaws are and, and how he is, yeah, I mean, perhaps not in control of what he could be, you know, as much as you might imagine an integrated individual to be. So something I'm particularly interested in is how, is, is how the cycle plays out in an individual life and there's also a way to tie rationality and this other kind of mystical way into this as well. I mean, one way you can think about mysticism is as a way of seeing, right, is as the place from where givens emerge, right, but they may or may not be adaptive for the current framework we're all in, so you have to apply analysis and rationality to work out what's going on in there, but fundamentally you have to empty that out again and then to, to to, to resubmerge back into that domain that enables the, the, the seeing of novelty from wherever you are. I mean, there's lots of ways to explore those I- ideas in, in a more articulate way, but I do see that interplay as being um, uh, particularly um, uh, involved in what we see Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. do. You know, um, he's someone to me that is. Uh, He's a, he's a creative thinker first and foremost, but he's also a, obviously a scientist, you know, and, um, well, he's, he's capable of pissing off just about anyone because he has developed quite an idiosyncratic way of thinking, even though it's got a lineage, it has a real lineage, mm. um, and perhaps, perhaps one of the things he's done that's most novel is sort of, is sort of a stack on top of one another many levels of analysis that attempt to represent the same pattern Um, but nevertheless it's reparticularizing these fundamental ideas to a terminology that works for him is a creative act itself it just depends how deep you ultimately think our creativity can go if we're just left with reparticularizing something ultimately really fundamental like some sort of cycle of death and rebirth we could talk about that a number of ways Um, or can we transcend to some domain of real radical novelty, that's, that's even quite impossible to comprehend. But anyway, where we might take all of that is what is the right way to integrate even a conversation about that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and for me it's one that is based on, on honesty, mm-hmm. um, fundamentally. And, and, you can, and what I see in what you're trying to do with Rebel Wisdom is to approach difficult conversations with honesty. That's really number one. Um, so um, there's I suppose another element to this as well which is taking from the online sphere which is where the communication happens on the mass level but also actually properly uh, setting that up in in real life face-to-face life so I wonder about your vision for events in the future and, and how it can work for people to be properly involved Does the audience like how much audience interaction should there be should people be spitting off and having conversations in smaller groups obviously it's important we see to you know a couple of people at the front talking to each other but fundamentally people have to engage themselves like like you say so what is the appropriate spiraling nodal like structure that best gets people to be involved in this creative transformative
1: process i don't know the answer to that question really no and i think with our next podcast we're going to inaugurate a discussion group or something on facebook Mm-hmm. Um, we, I don't know what the format is. I think partly we have to facilitate in-person discussions, mm-hmm. because broadcast is not good enough to, to be able to provide the context and the, the kind of body language, the kind of receptivity, the, the, what happens Absolutely, when two people yeah. are in dialogue with each so other. Much, so much. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's going to have to be continually des- decentralized. There can be it's sort of holding the balance between decentralization but not chaos Bam. and at the moment at the moment, what decentralizing often means is sort of a value what it comes with is a value system of relativity right so or relativism rather right So how do you reintroduce and this is do you know spiral dynamics this' is called Ken Wilber um, idea I, I, I probably am familiar with the concepts mm. but you might need quite to go a useful a map because he talks about green consciousness being postmodern relativistic it's the sort of dominant form of consciousness on the planet at the moment Mm, and and the crisis we're seeing is because it's basically eating its own tail Mm -hmm. it's a necessary step to kind of relativize absolutist claims and realize that there is a sort of there are other perspectives and it's valuable to consider other perspectives but ultimately if you don't have a transcendental truth value within it then you just end up kind of in in the chaos that we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, and a post-truth world, so he talks about integral thinking being the level above green, and integral thinking reintroduces hierarchy. Mm-hmm. It reintroduces it reintroduces truth. It reintroduces hierarchy, and it reintroduces um, yeah. It, it, it bypasses a lot of the pathologies of the previous stages. And I thought, I, thought, I mean, it's a, it's only a map, but it's it's quite a useful map, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really recommend. There's a book called Trump and the Post-Truth World, which Ken Wilbur wrote after the election of Trump that's really good because it, it applies this, what can be quite esoteric theorizing, his integral theory, to real-world events, and it really explains what's going on. Basically, green relativism, identity politics stopped functioning as a leading edge. So what happens is we've rebooted to a kind of earlier stage of tribalism. Mm-hmm. And that's what Trump represents, that's what Brexit represents. And it's a necessary thing to happen because this, these sort of, the so-called liberal elites were basically going off on their own direction and secretly hating all of the people that didn't think the same as them. So this kind of ideology of openness, like we're so open to all of these different kind of ideas and perspectives and races and genders and sexualities, apart from those people who don't think like us, these traditionalists who have different attitudes towards, say, gay marriage or whatever they're bigoted and racist and homophobic and we so there's this sort of there was this hidden shadow of liberal superiority and hate that lots of people picked up on especially I mean obviously Brexit is an example in the UK and Trump is an example in in America where in the UK for example they're quite um, valid concerns about uncontrolled immigration are seen by the liber- by the sort of liberal left as racist mm-hmm. uh, bigoted mm-hmm. and they're the and the, generally these people don't live in the areas that are really affected by these by by this immigration yeah and so what you had is in with brexit and with trump they were given a button marked fuck you and enough people pressed it they pressed that button yeah they yeah, pressed yeah, it yeah, and yeah. i don't blame them for it it's like yeah exactly and i think it's a crisis of of western culture it's a crisis of the uk and a crisis of america to say you can't allow your your country to get too far ahead of itself if you kind of see it as sort of more or less evolved and i I think i I don't particularly but it's like if the divisions get too broad you have to stop and come back together and i think there's a healing that needs to happen in both the uk and the us Mm -hmm. that at the moment i don't see happening because the liberals seem to have doubled down on their Wow, Trump got elected. The country is—it's far worse than we thought. It's far race, more racist than we thought, far more homophobic. And it's like, yeah, yeah. look, look at what's really happening. Look at the reception that someone like Milo, who openly gay, talks about his black boyfriend, yeah. got in rural America. These are not—these yeah. are not just the sort of—I'm sure there are racist and homophobic people there, but this is not what's going on. And this liberal—what I fear is that we're actually we're actually seeing it spiral further rather than this sort of healing that needs to happen. Um, and I, my belief is that it might be possible to have these, and this is what the intellectual dialogue is about as well, it's like there are certain conversations that we need to have and they're being stopped at the moment by this ideology. The conversations about gender differences, for example, are being stopped because of this ideology that says you can't talk about that or that it's, it's, even, it's sexist to even discuss it. And there's all of these sort of third rail issues within our culture that, that this worldview is stopping us discussing. Yeah. And the intellectual dark web is sort of this first crystallization of this is the these are the conversations we need to have, have. Mm. because you can't talk about inequality if you don't recognise the fact that we are not equal in some areas to start with. Absolutely. Um, so that conversation needs to be had. I suspect. That, that conversation can be had in the UK, and I don't think it can be had in the US. Yeah, and I think it's too polarized, that. they're too reactive, the culture wars are too entrenched. There's a kind of civility in the UK that and politeness that I think will, could allow us to reach this kind of synthesis. Um, and the UK's talent is for synthesis: music, fashion, comedy. We created the Beatles, we created Monty Python, we create these sort of these synthesized kind of movements. The US takes them and polarizes and it's kind of like the process of, like they have the most forward thinking and um, highly evolved say masters of flow or psychedelics or any of these things in the world but they also have some of the most miserable, some of the most drug addicted, some of the most suicidal, some of the most miserable people on the planet Mm -hmm. Um, and that's no, that's kind of no coincidence and it's unsustainable. And I think America is in the process of ripping itself apart because of that. It's like you as a society did not take it. It's like Peterson talks about the prophet comes along and says, you've not been taking care of the women and children. It's the same. It's like you've not been taking care of your society. You've pretty much decided that they're nothing to do with you. And that's that is not allowed. You, you, you're not allowed to do that as a society and, rem, and for it to remain functional. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you create you create too much resentment and it will grow to the point that it will take you down
0: yeah well i mean look there's there's a lot in there that i think is 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 quite persuasive i mean the message is one that is quite uh, quite doom laden there's no doubt about that you know i mean just what do you mean by by the the us isn't going to be able to uh, properly find that harmony before this time of real thing if you look
1: at my um, Friend Jordan Greenhall talks about this if you look at the the language that's being used It's already one step below actual violence the kind of the way that people are talking treason no surrender, right. Like th- we are already balkanized to the point where it looks unlikely that we will be able to I, I can just look at America and I can see loads of different like just imagine a a, a race riot in American city and Donald Trump sends in the National Guard. It could easily happen. No, absolutely. I, mean, I, absolutely. I, can see, I can see an infinite number of potential flashpoints in America mm-hmm. and I don't see I don't see where the checks and balances are to stop that happening. I mean their their politics is barely functional and the whole the whole society seems a lot more hollow than I think even it realises. There's a great film by the guy who did The Wire, David Simon, is the main interviewee and kind of created the main thesis Mm -hmm. for this film called The House I Live In. And it's a very persuasive film that looks at the drug conflict in America as the drug war as a kind of lens to look at the society. But what it sketches out is a society that's basically been following like it's the same crisis of materialism, following these targets, something that Adam Curtis talk, talks about a bit in his films as well. You, If you keep pursuing targets for the sake of targets, people learn to kind of dupe the stats, but not to actually do their jobs. Mm. And so what you have is a society that's not doing it for itself, it's doing it for for the, yeah, it, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's meeting the the targets without actually doing, like a policeman is not doing his job because he wants to bring, yeah, from the best part of himself, he wants to serve his country, he wants to serve his society. In the end, even if he gets into it for that, he ends up busting people on the street corners because it's much quicker to, to get his stats. So what you end up is hollowing out of society, and I think America's kind of there already. It's an outdated image, in other words. People are aspiring to something, aspiring to
0: something that doesn't actually properly map on to, to what the, the adaptive way of being, whatever it is, is in the current world.
1: Well, it's sort of, yeah, they've, I think they've sacrificed truth at a fairly fundamental level. And you can't sacrifice truth in a society and expect to get away with it.
0: Mm. So, yeah, on the, on the quite reasonable assumption that the US continuing to deteriorate to a point of utter chaos is a very, very, very bad thing.
1: Well, that's not, in a way, the, the association of good and bad is part of the problem.
0: Well, okay, okay. But, you know, we are at this point where scale scary weapons thing. is such... It's a scary thing. It is. Of course it's scary, but it, it also depends what we mean by chaos. And one person's chaos is, is going to be a grain of sand in comparison to someone else's. Um, and we're so powerful that it's it is... Well, by the nature of chaos, impossible really to fix exactly what we're talking about here. Mm. Um, so it's scary. We might want to avoid it as long as that's not papering over cracks. Um, that might mean uh, ways to properly navigate conflict. And now in, in a conversation that's a, a, attempting to grapple with themes that are so pervasive, transpersonal, ultimately, I'm a bit... Out of my depth, but I can say that in times when I've been able to bridge um, otherwise insurmountable conflict, love has been a key. Mm. And that's a very, very uh, well, in one sense, it's a cliched thing to say, but. At other times, it can appear like the most salient and most real thing to say there
1: is. I when mean, you're on psychedelics, for example.
0: When you're on psychedelics, for example, but 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 also, I think actually more um, more repeatedly, you know, in a romantic relationship or in a familial relationship, uh, or in a you know in a friendship, you know, I mean it, it it's a love for the potential of what could be, at the same time as also um, allowing a sort of relaxing into uh, a satisfaction somehow with the present despite what mm. moments before was suffering. I mean, um, so love is a
1: bridge maker of
0: sorts, um, mm. but, but there's a,
1: there's a great uh, Leonard Cohen line, every heart to love will come, but like a refugee. And I think that's where we're going. Like people will find it, but they'll find it. It will be a struggle to get there.
0: Mm, well, of course, but you can struggle towards it right now. You can run to it right now.
1: yeah, I mean, that's partly you can you can steer into the skid in a way you can you can do the work of you can choose to do the work before life does it to you
0: Well, absolutely. and I mean and in, it's, in choosing to do the work, it is also life doing it to you at the same time. I mean, the, the fundamental mm. uh, existential predicament we're in is, is there today, it's there tomorrow. Mm. Uh, the suffering is there, it's there for you to bear. Your futility, your, your, your ignorance, your vulnerability, you know, the, the necessary self-indulgence it takes to step out and say anything that might be true about the world. But it's a positive form of self-indulgence, you know, mm. it has to be made. Uh, it's it's all there, all the vulnerabilities there. But it's it's what it's being in some effectively open state that enables a proper being with the suffering, and not uh, and not, not immediately recoiling from it at the same time, but uh, but feeling it somehow. So I don't know. I'm, I'm certainly no in no position to say to make any prediction about the world whatsoever, whether to be optimistic or pessimistic. I think fundamentally, I'm an, I'm an optimist, and I would also argue that fundamentally, Jordan Peterson's an optimist as well. Mm. And, you know, I I'll, agree I'll, with that. Well I, well, I mean, of course, so, I mean, no. I will argue for it though. And the reason mm. I will say that is because... Now, maybe you're right, maybe The reason I will say that is because to be an optimist, really, in, in the good sense of it, you have to be absolutely cognizant of Mm-hmm. the very things to be pessimistic about. And the reality is, if you're stepping forward and living, if you're moving towards the kingdom of God on the hill, which is what is the closest metaphor I think you'll get, well, that, that we've currently got that gets at what Jordan Peterson means by his relationship to God. It is about um, affirming life in that place of suffering, It's what Dostoevsky said, what Victor Frankl quoting Dostoevsky is saying you know, the thing I fear most is not to be worthy of my sufferings, right? There's a meaning in suffering, but, it, but it's a real meaning. It, it's not a suffering meaning, right? There's ground to stand on at the bottom. There is destruction, but there's something there, right? And it's, it's an affective will to life. So on the, way that, on the way that I, you know, the ideas I find most compelling in my own research and writing, I think the will to life is, a, is a, a, as, as good a final or grounding metaphysical principle as any and i think uh, you know i think the reason why jordan peterson's currently maintaining that uh, even people who profess to be atheists are in fact religious if they uphold the judeo christian morality is fundamentally because in their movement in their, in their in their in their being they are affirming life and that to me is an optimistic take right be- the choice to live is an optimistic take so you might think the for me i think the beginning place for philosophy is should i live and we do have a choice in that Mm. regard it seems to me and i will argue for a genuine choice despite a very much closed boundaries and 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 limits on our choice but it is that it's it's and it's not a rational principle you know it's an affirmation it's it's an it's an affectation and the rationality immediately has to come next anyway i I see them all as part of the same process if there's anything that i've done that is remotely helpful, which is a real stretch. It will be merely putting this metaphor forward for the destruction, building it into something better, presumably, but it's the metaphor of a water wheel, okay? Mm. It's, all one, it's all one system, it's all one process. It's a process philosophical position. So you can't take the wheel out the water and you'll have destroyed what it is. So the, the, waters, the, the, the wheel's in the stream, okay? And as the plank, cask things or whatever come down, they're, they're picking up that water. That's the land of the imagination, right? That's where novelty emerges from. It's the place of givens. As the, as the water is bared up, the part-making begins. whole making and part-making, I call it. But that's the analysis. That's the rationality. It's necessary for the whole structure. It, it upturns its, its water, makes another stream. You can imagine water wheels in there. And this links up with the idea of nodes as well. What's the appropriate way to actually empty yourself of the water while maintaining the harmony of the structure itself? And again, once, once you're empty, a little nod to like the, some ideas of Buddhism in there as well. You can then re-enter the water. But fundamentally, the movement comes from the, the hitting of the stream and the submersion of the plank casks there. And for me, the affirmation of life is, 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 is optimistic. And it, and it mm. is an embodied precognitive choice. I can't really use the word precognitive because I'm not educated enough to really talk about what cognitive means in... Modern cognitive science, but it looks to me like something precognitive, and I think um, in a psychedelic experience, we can get this orientation of how to navigate before things become too fixed, right? We, we meet anomaly, and we can think of Jordan Peterson's chaos and order to help grasp this concept a bit. Anomaly is what happens when you're out there in chaos. It's a moment, you can call it an encounter, right? And then you have a decision as to how you respond to that, and there's there would be many break-offs, you know, of, of how we could then talk about that. But fundamentally, it's pay attention to it or not, and there are positive and negative senses of both. But anyway, you know, um, it is a it is a for me for me these are ideas that are all linked to what we're seeing, and fundamentally as well, it's about it's an instance of uh, a sort of oppositional nature. We, we bear out in ourselves and we see play out in the world of course you have left and right, um, you have the internal, you have the external, you have materialism and whatever else you want to say, you know, um, and uh, it, it is that, it is that uh, uh, appropriate harmonization of opposites to dissolve them but to coagulate them again, to, to bring yeah. them together again right, it's not about taking away the polarities it's about it's about engaging in the kind of individual action as it meets the collective that appropriately orients right that oppositional motivation and reconstitutes it so it's so it's properly harmonized for whatever is but you know adaptive for the time but that's so abstract what does that mean you know to embody it and talk to people and, and, and engage with these ideas that's why we see it come out in, in gender and, and what have you because it's such a you know people can grapple on these sorts of things a little bit. And that's a conversation I do want to have, but I'm not educated to have to the standard that I think is required if you ultimately want to try and lead mm. people through over such a ridiculous, chaotic time. But I see it's something you're taking on and I really admire that. I think it takes a lot of bravery. I think what you're doing, it takes a lot of bravery and vulnerability and I, and I do see that. And you know, the reason why I, I contacted you was because I, one, I thought you'd say yes and partly because well, I just had a sense that the time was right, but also, mm. you know, because, because, uh, because uh, you would be ready to have a conversation, I, I see it with what you're doing, so, yeah, I, I don't know, what would you like to talk about, would you like to talk about your men's work, I mean, because that, if, if, if that is somewhere where you have, from my limited understanding, sort mm. of demonstrable expertise in leading. Um, a group of men to engage with some of these aspects of themselves mm. so this is one way in a, in, a, you know, in, a, in a communal way we can bring people together and, and start mm-hmm. to deal with fundamentally what's, what's confusing about ourselves when we look in and you can call that the shadow and then below that you have the anima animus if you want to be Jungian about it mm-hmm. and you have various complexes of the personal unconscious as well and it's so so complicated but how, how do you conceptualize what you're doing there and, and uh, yeah, what do you wanna, how do you want to build that into to Rebel Wisdom?
1: Um, so we were starting the men's work kind of at the same time as the media stuff. It was sort of a coincidence that um, I happened to be being mentored by a, a guy who's been doing this work since the 70s. And I think, I mean, I see it in a continuum because what we need to do is to really ground ourselves in ourselves. That's where we need to go as well. Right now, and that for me involves there 's something that happens when men are with men and women are with women that is a really essential grounding in our in our sort of deeper being, our polarity that then gives us fuel hmm. and we talk about vitamin M on our workshops, the idea that there 's something that we 're craving I think it 's a deep evolutionary history of men with men with men, and there is something that everyone there feels on a really deep level when when they're in that space. And there's also something that when we really focus our intention on what's working in our lives, and what isn't working in our lives, and bring that level of intensity to it, change can happen. We need to, I think in our lives, we need to kind of almost artificially create that or artificially, but we need to create that for ourselves. And that's what everyone who comes to the workshops is bringing There's a kind of real, and we we kind of encourage them to bring that level of intensity it's like okay what are you what do you really want to happen in your life what do you really want to change and it's only with that level of intensity and that level of um recognition and support that i think we can make those changes it's very hard in our everyday lives without sort of carving out a space for it and we also say we have to do it ourselves but we don't have to do it alone so there's a sense of sort of community and support and really willing each other to to become the best we can be mm. and that is something i think yeah i think men with other men find it a lot easier to give that than when women are present because when women are present there often comes in a bit of performance a bit of mm. anxiety a bit of sort of showing off in front of the other men there's a there's something that comes in that that is is a different element into that field. Interesting. Um, and it's not wrong. We can have a really... Like, sure. There's a lot of... Um, yeah, there's a, there's a different energy to a mixed group. Absolutely. But there is something that being with men allows us to really support each other and focus and, and recharge ourselves for our relationships or for re-engaging with, with, with women in the outside world or yeah just just really yeah it's an it's an essential piece, and I think it's an essential piece for now, because of the chaos of the times we have to ground ourselves in ourselves, and I think as men that means grounding ourselves as men as well as as people because we have a biological existence we have an we have a an embodied existence absolutely and a lot of men I know from my generation have a sense of sort of shame around themselves as men. I think there's a lot of that in the culture, and I think a lot of men have internalized themso- that about themselves. And nothing good comes from shame. It's not an empowered space to be. Mm. It's It's essential for us to kind of recognize the way that men have misbehaved in the past, but it's not for us to take on if it's not ours. Mm. And it's to say, I take what's mine, mm. I reject what's not mine that's being put onto me and I I yeah, I I become the best that I can be. Because I think, yeah, ultimately we're all being challenged to evolve. That's what the times are calling for right now. We're all gonna have to evolve. And it's never easy. All change is never easy, but take it on willingly or it'll happen to you anyway and it won't be so much fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that is the right message, um, David. Thank you very much for talking to me. If anybody wants to uh, get in touch with what I'm doing, um, they can check out VoiceClub.com and VoiceClub videos on YouTube. It's something similar. Uh, at least it, it's motivated, I think, by by that uh, willingness to take responsibility for the right way to face change. There's a lot of ways you can put it, but thank you so much for taking the time. It's it's really been a pleasure. Thank you, Tim.
1: Thank
0: you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more of these conversations and to stay in touch about events planned later this year in Melbourne, please do like the Facebook page, follow Voice Club underscore on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube and most other places you usually listen to your podcasts. Best of all, sign up to the mailing list via the connect tab at voiceclub.com. And if you found this valuable, please consider sharing or leaving a review. You can also support Voice Club on Patreon with a monthly subscription. Links to which can be found on voiceclub.com and in the description from the 7th of May 2018 onwards. There is so much more to come. We'll see you then.